Oh my stars, I am so thrilled you're here. My name is Kai Graham and welcome to another episode in my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, which is designed to equip parents and teenagers with the tools for navigating adolescence. I've been in the trenches of parenting and now I'm on a mission to help parents support their teenagers so that together we can build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Each week you will receive learnings and takeaways that will help you tackle the challenges and the oh shit moments that are often associated with parenting tweens and teens. I have your back and I'm glad you're here. Hello, you lovely lot. I I know that you're going to be in for a treat today. I am so excited to be talking to Dr. Roseanne, who, well, she's a mental health trailblazer and founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. And she is a media expert who is changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. Now, her work has helped thousands reverse the most most challenging conditions, including ADHD, anxiety, mood, Lyme, and pans and pandas, using proven holistic therapies. Now, Dr. Roseanne has often featured in dozens of media outlets, including Fox, CBS, NBC, Parents, and the New York Times. And Forbes magazine has called her a thought leader in children's mental health. My love, I, Dr. Roseanne, I am so chuffed that you're chatting with us today. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited for our chat. Good. So, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about serious stuff, but we're yeah. going to have a darn good time talking about serious stuff. Good. I, I'm thrilled to hear it because your list of, of sort of um, challenging conditions that you address. Actually, I didn't mention the one that we're hopefully going to be talking about today. Um, the title of this episode is Is It Anxiety or OCD? Um, which, do you know what, is what a lot of parents are coming to me with. I don't know whether or not you see an increase in sort of cases like this because of COVID and what's going on, but so many parents are coming to me going, what the heck's going on? And more to the point, how do we deal with this? So what's your experience here? I am definitely seeing an increase in OCD uh, for sure. I think some of it is, you know, some of it, what's the nexus of OCD? So, you know, OCD is this very misunderstood condition, right? And people are often flip about it. Oh, that's my OCD. I'm so organized. Yeah. Um, and, and they almost, you know, make it like it's a positive thing when, when they say it. So, you know, people don't, parents in particular don't understand what OCD is. And if I even go further Many therapists and medical professionals don't really understand OCD. And so what does that mean? It gets missed. And that means it gets misdiagnosed. And the nexus of OCD is anxiety, right? So it starts with worry. Yep. And when we have worry, we can either deal with it in appropriate ways. You know, we deal with it in healthy ways, right? So... Um, we can do things like breath work and yoga and meditation, maybe talk to a therapist, uh, maybe uh, have their parents help them, whatever, whatever way is healthy. Um, and then where OCD comes in is that nexus of, of anxiety morphs into irrational thought. 
And we think of, we'll go into a lot of details about OCD, but we we think of OCD as only compulsions like checking and hand washing. Yeah. yeah. Right. That is not the most common thing that you see in OCD. Yes, I look at Ka- you can't that. see Kai's face, but you know, pick your pick your chin up. Right. It's really intrusive thoughts. And and we're gonna get into all the nuggets of this. And this is why it's hard to see because it's the stuck on thoughts. So here's a great example, because sometimes it's really hard to wrap your mind around well, what do you mean? So so I have a worry, right? Actually, let's let's start with something real that this is something in one of my cases 20 years ago, right? So I had a boy that already was on the anxious side, right? Okay. A young kid. He was under 10. What is, you know, what is what did it look like his anxiety? So he he was prone to um some belly aches. He was prone to needing reassurance from his parents like a lot, like he would be like, oh, mommy, we're going, we're going to this birthday party. What are they going to do there? What's going on? Who's going to be there? Are you going to be there? Right. So he already had this sort of bent. Okay. Very functional. That's another huge myth about any mental health issue is that you are not functional. Okay. And most people, particularly with anxiety, OCD, ADD, right? Yeah. These common things. They're very functional. There's just an area in their life that they're not functioning well. And we often misinterpret that the grades are great, Kai. So in all places in the world, we think if you're a good student, you can have an underlying mental health problem, right? Dr. Roseanne, you are so right. Because my son is 28 and literally about sort of three or four months ago, he was diagnosed with ADHD because he was functioning so well. And it was only when his his sort of mental health really crashed that we realized, oh, hang on a minute. Because he was really pushing himself, right? So kids with ADD and kids with learning issues like dyslexia have a higher IQ than normal. Right. So they can live on their IQ, right? Which I know most people like, well, isn't that a good thing? Yeah. But, but if your attention is, is a struggle, your executive functioning, which means you're planning, it means you're always in overdrive and that you could, those people that live in overdrive flip. So this little boy, he was always kind of an anxious kid. And one time he was in a playground and he got a splinter. And when I mean he got a splinter, he got a massive splinter. Like it was like four or five inches. He had to go to the hospital to get it out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he right away, it ignited obsessive worry about splinters. Okay. So anxiety, right? He had a worry. He he probably within a short amount of time, within a number of years, right? This little guy uh, would have developed anxiety because it, it really was sort of an uptick and his parents didn't realize how much they were sort of managing it for yeah. him. And he did well in school, right? Um, had friends. So he wasn't, you know, there wasn't an area that was really falling apart. So he gets the splinter and overnight he starts having intrusive worries that he's got to get more splinters. 
So when those intrusive worries come into place, what is OCD? You have to be, you have to have an hour or more of obsessive thinking, intrusive thoughts or compulsion, right? And we're going to talk about compulsions, but I really like to emphasize intrusive thoughts. So intrusive thoughts are always irrational. Okay. So that means they make no sense. People, they can be dark. Yeah. Dark meaning they can be sexual in nature. They can be demons. These are the most common things I see. Sexual demons, all ages, people, all ages. They get this, this worry morphs into this idea that they are hanging their belief system. So with somebody with OCD, what happens, this little boy, he, in his subconscious mind, okay, please know nobody does this on purpose. Yeah. Okay. There is a behavioral habituation, the nervous system gets used to a certain thing. And I'm going to explain that. So it makes all sense for any nerdy stuff. You got to understand the science. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So he believed, so he would ask his parents when we go to this playground, is it going to be a wooden playground? And they would be like, no, whatever his name was, Joey, no, Joey, there's not. So he then started increasing his frequency of asking, is there a playground at school? Is there this? Now he knew the answer and the parents inadvertently actually fed the OCD by constantly responding to him. So his OCD grew and started to spread to other areas, right? So then it became things like he couldn't even go to a playground, right? And then there would be all of this. Now, when there's repetitive questioning, when there's a need for reassurance, there's a couple things I want to say about that. One, sometimes it's super easy. Like, hello, this kid's brain is hijacked. And especially when it's really odd, like what are common things? Like um, I have a lot of kids who uh, have fear of choking or throwing up. I was just about to use that example. Yeah. Okay. Really common. A lot of kids fear that there's germs in their food. Yeah. Okay. Now, then we flip into compulsive behaviors and we can talk about that. But then the parents inadvertently, the questioning starts out small and then they just get into a habit themselves. And then the next thing they know, they're like, oh my God, I had these parents recently. And they're like, literally, we cannot be around him unless he is asking us a question. And they came to us because there's treatments for it. So this is a great example of how this kid had these sort of, you know, he was functional. His parents didn't know he had anxiety until the OCD just sort of eclipsed him. He got to the point where he was non-functional about his worries. Okay. Um, and that is why they brought him to me 20 years ago, because they were like, uh, uh, like, there are, we're in a car and he's asking about splinters. Like, we know this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And they were going to other providers who were treating it as anxiety and didn't understand that it was OCD. And what was happening, they were actually worsening it by talking about the anxious thoughts, not teaching him how to talk back to his OCD thoughts. They didn't even understand that it was OCD. They were saying it was a phobia. Yes. Fear of. Yeah. So, um, and there's a fine line between that, but he had looping intrusive thoughts. Um, you know, he didn't, he didn't morph into compulsions at that point. Um, and we were able to stop it and we were able to, through a combination of exposure, uh, exposure, cognitive behavior, exposure therapy, which is called 
exposure and response prevention. There's providers all over the world who do this. This is the gold standard in the treatment of OCD. Every other treatment is not nearly as effective. So we use neurofeedback with exposure and response prevention. Um, and it is pretty unbelievable how effective it is. It's hard work. I was going to say, and yeah. The OCD takes over. So, so intrusive thoughts, Kai, you don't always see them. So like sometimes all of a sudden a teenager comes out, you know, we had a teenager that um, had intrusive thoughts that she was having sex with her father. It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We've had many, many teenagers have intrusive thoughts that they are going to kill themselves. They don't want to kill themselves, but their thoughts tell them that they are going to kill themselves. So where do they end up? Psych hospitals yeah. who completely don't see the OCD. Right. And and that's the scary thing for kids, isn't right. it? Is that they've got all these intrusive thoughts. They are dark. And so therefore, how on earth could you admit to anyone that this is bingo what you're bingo, Kai? Because it makes you a bad person or that you're right. judged for it. So absolutely that must be a scary place to be. So, so scary. Every once in a while, I have parents that are super connected with their kids and the kids reveal some of it. And please know there's no bad parent. There's no whatever. And I, and I can't really say what that dynamic is other than when I mean, this is a parent that never gets irritated. Like they never get irritated. And so they're always like love, 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 which is hard hard people <laughs> when your kid is their brain is hijacked. Yeah. And if essentially they're irritating the bejesus out of you by these constant questions and, and they, they come up in such an insidious way that everyone starts acting like this and you, you don't see it when you're in it. Right. And then I come in and I'm like, you're doing this, this, and they're like, Oh my gosh, I totally am, yeah. you know? And they're like, how do I get out? You know, and I'm like, you have to stop being your kid's life preserver because you're actually feeding the OCD. And so what happens with OCD in the case of this boy, every time the parent answers the question, is there a splinter? Yes or no. Every single time it reinforces in his brain that I have an anxious thought. When I ask this question, my anxiety goes down. So every time they respond, the anxiety goes down. So neurologically, it's called a negative reinforcement cycle. He's literally like a hundred times more likely to repeat it. Yeah. I mean, that's neuroplasticity. Is that correct? Is that, yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's very much like this, even with anxiety, right? Yeah. So when does this flip from anxiety to OCD? You have to have an hour more a day of intrusive thoughts or compulsions. And please know that compulsions like checking and all that, they, they definitely happen. And Sometimes they happen right away. Sometimes they start happening later as you move from intrusive thoughts to outward behaviors. And that's when people get identified because, you know, when you see your kid tapping before they do something or you see them hand washing repeatedly, it's hard to deny it. Yeah. You know, that something else external is going on. And even then, people will question. I've had kids where they can't ride in the car next to a sibling or a dad or whatever. And they ride in a car with a sheet in between. 
And they still don't get that it's OCD. And they're like, oh, well, she's got a little worry about germs. I don't really think it's OCD. And I'm like, you cannot, she can't ride in a car with her sibling. You, unless the sheet's up. This is interfering with your daily life, people. This is OCD, you know? And yet the other therapist were, was like, no, it's anxiety. And I'm like, this is a definition of OCD. So, so it you really know? is, because I've got lots of kids that come to me or parents that sort of say, what the heck do I do? And they sort of say the panic attacks, um, you know, can last about an hour. Now, is that, you know, and, and I've, I've had sort of some kids that sort of say, well, no, actually, you know, that I have anxiety and I have to leave school and I don't calm down until the evening. Is that OCD then, if that keeps on going for that long? So let's talk about that. That's a great question, Kai. Can you have panic attacks and OCD or panic attacks and anxiety? The answer is yes, right? But we still have to have those other behaviors, right, in there. So, you know, anxiety. So what is a panic attack, right? A panic attack is your body telling you, I am at maximum capacity. It is your body alerting you that you are at max stress level and your it's your body's response to stress. So you feel the worry, the intensity, the panic at a level where you are so activated, your, your heart rate is up. You feel physical pain, right? That's where most of them, the chest, the head, and you're frozen. The panic attack is the greatest example in fight, flight, or freeze, maximum capacity of the autonomic nervous system. It is our freeze. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's just your, your autonomic nervous system manages all stressors, real or imagined a healthy response. A healthy nervous system is able to sort of idle in this relaxed parasympathetic state you got to do things mindfully to do that, right? What does Dr. Roseanne do? She does breath work. She does yoga. She does EMF. I do some biofeedback. I do a lot of things every day. I do a lot of prayer um, to help my nervous system stay in this state so that when I do stress activate and I go into a sympathetic dominant state because there is a stressor, right? Um, like I was late this morning and all of a sudden I hit traffic. My nervous system went to a sympathetic. I emailed you and I was like, I will be two minutes late because I don't like being late because my mother was always late. So I'm always very mindful of of being respectful on other people's time. I don't think two minutes literally was a problem. But for me, it is. You showed up. That was a bonus. So, hey. (laughs) (laughs) But my nervous system, Kai, went to stress. I get you. That I was like, you sent her the email. Knock it off. It's two minutes. And then I can go back down. But when somebody's in a constant state of anxiety or stress yeah. or having intrusive thoughts, your nervous system stays in the sympathetic dominant. Yeah. So what does that look like? It means you're literally physically and mentally going to react at a much higher level, greater intensity to be not benign, everyday stressors, big stressors. That kids, that person's reaction is going to be very different. So if I was late and I already was at maximum capacity today, I could have had a panic attack. Yeah. Got you. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, but because I take care of my nervous system, it goes down. So that panic attack, you know, why are kids having panic attacks? Because they are not, they're in a constant state of dysregulation. 
And, you know, my whole work is regulating that nervous system with tools like biofeedback and neurofeedback, which I work with people all over the world. I send them equipment and we, we teach them how to do it. But then, but then you have to pair it with new learning. So you can't just calm that nervous system down and keep acting in an anxious way. You can't keep asking your mother reassuring questions. You can't retreat to your room every time you get out of school because you don't can't handle the day. You have to adapt yeah. and use things that keep your nervous system working the right way and stop repeating the habit. That's easier said than done, surely. No, it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it is easier said than done. But see, the problem is we're giving people a message, Kai, that there's a pill, particularly in the States, there's a pill that's going to fix it. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. And poor parents, poor adults, poor kids, they don't understand that it takes work. Yeah. But it's. It's what I always say, it's shifting what you're doing. You're spinning your wheels. You're working real hard and you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you shift it? And everything I do is research-based. So why don't we look what the science says works for anxiety, OCD, depression, whatever the heck's going on and do those things. But you have to learn a new, another way. And, and please know that it's micro step, right? You know, um, a lot of times, because our therapies are so effective, people sometimes, no matter how much I tell them, I put it in writing, I send a video, they literally think I've got the magic wand, which I do have one on my desk. And <laughs> <laughs> But I try to explain if there's a behavioral piece in this. And we, again, behavioral in unwinding what the brain and body has learned. And it didn't happen overnight. That's it. And I think that's the thing is is that all of these responses are learned responses Um, and just highlighting the fact that, you know, this is what you're doing and this is how it's manifesting doesn't suddenly negate it, does it? So because we know we've learned how to do it, we can now unlearn how to do it. But that learning took time. So therefore, the unlearning has to take time. And we're so blimmin' impatient that it's, as you say, where's the magic pill? Where's the magic wand? Just fix me, fix me, fix me. Right. It takes responsibility and effort to make those changes, doesn't it? Right. And, and, you know, I think the problem is we're just not helping particularly parents to understand that. Once they understand it, they're like, why didn't anybody tell me that in the beginning? You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm screaming it from a rooftop, you know, and, and every once in a while, like I have a, I have a dad right now who is mad at me when I mean mad. It is borderline. He's this close for for getting kicked out, right? Because if you're rude to me or my staff, you have to sign off three places. You're going to be nice. So it doesn't mean not so stressed. And he's just mad at me because even though his son has made progress for the first time, and please know I'm hiding details, um, that his son has made progress for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, it's not happening fast enough. For I, him. I, I listen, I hear it the whole time. <laughs> you found out what's wrong. Why is he not better yet? Why is he not fixed yet? So, you yeah. know, and so we do a lot of behavioral rating scales and they have to report every other week and just to understand. So I think parents like on that deeply common sense kind of level get it. And you know, I'm a special needs mom times too. 
And um, my younger son has dyslexia. I don't even consider that a problem at this point. He's, you know, I look forward to what he's going to be. He's, you know, his teacher said that every single kid in the class, every single kid in the class, when they said, what could you do? Who could help you in this class? Be a better student. Every single kid said John Carlo Hodge. Not one kid said that. And, And because he's such a nice kid. I'm done with parenting. I don't need to do anything else. I just want him to be a nice boy who's happy. He'll work it all out. Right. Now his brother, Max, he's had pans um, from Lyme disease and he has had serious mental health problems. He got Lyme disease at 22 months and he's 16. Can I stop you there and explain to my audience what PANS is? Oh, let me tell you what PANS is. So PANS, PANS and PANDAS, autoimmune encephalopathy, three different disorders. They have the same source and generally the same behaviors. I'll explain what AE is. So infectious disease or toxic trigger causes a misdirected immune response. The body starts attacking itself, produces massive inflammation. Okay. This is very common, you guys, in the States. One out of every 150 to 200 kids has this. Whoa. And it is across the globe. This is not an American problem. Please know this. In Great Britain, Italy, all over Europe, it's very much talked about Australia, New Zealand. So what happens is many, so it can be, it's you either with pans and pandas, it has to be a sudden onset or a big worsening of a pre-existing condition. So you could have had anxiety and the next thing you know, it's OCD or, you know, just extreme. So, um, and you can see everything from OCD to uh, motor tics to, um, I mean, you name it, rage, you know, aggression, you know, suicidal thoughts to a loss of skills, like a loss of handwriting, loss of cognitive skills, um, and then uh, common, two common things are poor handwriting and uh, frequent urination, or I should say three, and sep- and separation anxiety. So my kid got bitten by a tick at 22 months, and it's been a, a 14 years of hell. He's on the other side of it. Um, and, you know, he, he it's very hard when your kid is struggling and anxious and needs you as a life preserver. So I just want to say from a mother perspective, I get it. And I'm very lucky that my husband is a true partner in life. Yeah. And we would literally treat it like a wrestling match. Like I would be like tag team. I'm out. You're in. Yeah. I think that's the only way I had even halfway preserved my sanity at times. So I am not talking from my ivory tower as a professional. Please know that I have been there and my, my families have had so much pain, so much hardship. And the road has been unnecessarily long because we are not looking at the research, right? In my book, it's going to be okay. It's all about solutions for struggling kids. And it's the step-by-step way on how to unravel these, whatever mental health issue you've got. It's the way to unravel it. And there's 40 pages of research citations because we are ignoring research. We are not using evidence-based approach. And instead, due to great marketing by pharma people, that's all that it is, you are getting pushed a pill. 
And I promise you when 70% of all psychiatric medications used with children are off label. So that means there's no research to prove they are effective for that issue. We've got a serious freaking problem. Yeah. This has been going on for a long time here as well. Long, it's it's getting much worse. It is, in, it is. much worse. Yeah. You're you used to be light years ahead of us in mental health. You are coming up in the rears as of being as bad. And you you've yeah. you've moved to a crisis management. Like there's not a lot of in between. And your hospitals, uh, that's where kids land. Yeah. It's like there was a problem. We're not really doing much. And then full on crisis. Oh, m- m- most of the kids that I see basically say that the the, um, the services are so backed up that they can't see them for a couple of years. And, you know, sort of suicidal kids. And it's just sort of, well, you know, you haven't really tried to sort of take your own life. So actually, you know, we'll, we'll see you in six months. And it's like, how bad does this oh, have to get for kids right. before people are going to help them and listen? So well, I mean, and, you know, I spend so much time in my book talking about all the things parents can do. That's fantastic. I know it feels overwhelming. Trust me. Again, I get it. But when we, you know, I talk about these eight pillars, these ways to really unwind things, you can start with one. You can start with one and you can stick with that one thing if you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, I have some parents are like me, like I'm going to jump in the deep end every time. I'm going to do all eight. And that's okay too. Right, guys? Like me too. Yeah, yeah. Hands up. But many of my parents are like, give me the one thing. Okay. The one thing is calming the heck down that nervous system. It is physiologically impossible, people, to process language, take action, and think when you're in fight, 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 flight, or freeze. Okay. Yeah. And I promise you, if your kid is having panic attacks, they are ripping your head off because you walk past them all the time. I don't mean once in a while. I mean, all the time. They are not getting out of bed. They are sh- go- not going to school. I, Your kid is in fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. So why are we trying to do talk therapy? Why are we trying to do medication that hasn't been proven 70% of the time? That is not what the science tells us. So there are other things. We've got to regulate those nervous systems. There's so many ways to do it. And I break it all down. And, and I think when parents hear this for me, they're like, this is so common sense. Like, you know, yeah, it is common sense. But when right? you can't see the wood from the trees, when you're spiraling down and your family no. feels like it's. But nobody's telling him this, Kai. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you and I are very like minded, but like the average professional isn't explaining the neuroscience to parents. They need an explanation. They need to understand why are we taking these actions and what is it going to look like? And there's please know that healing does not happen like a rocket to outer space. It kind of looks like the stock market (laughs) up and down, up and down. And it should trend to yeah. a positive level. That's what, what healing looks like. And, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard, but I, I say to people, it's shifting your efforts to things that improve instead of doing the same darn thing. And you're spinning your wheels. I mean, that is really what is so critical for parents to understand. And, you know, sometimes parents get better with me and then they're like, is this the time for medication? I was like, no, no, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? What have you not learned? They still think there's some kind of fix. And yeah. So, so tell me, you, you sort of say, right, the, the first thing to do is to calm the heck, you know, the nervous system down. What is for, for the majority? Because I, I love to give takeaways to the audience. Yeah. What is for the majority of um, the clients that you see? What are their What are their go tos that that help them with this? Yeah, um, such a great question. So, I, the number one go to is doing breath work. Yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. it's something anybody can do, no matter where they are. People of all ages can do this, even toddlers. Um, and the key to breath work is what's called diaphragmatic or belly breathing. So when we are stressed and I've been there and you start breathing in and out of your chest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's where most people are unless they've trained to breathe out of their belly. And when you're breathing out of your chest, you are activating the sympathetic dominant nervous system. So that's, so S stress you're in that stressed yeah. sympathetic state. Okay. We have to utilize that nervous system and get you down into that parasympathetic state. I call it the hot tub state because when you're in a hot tub, you go into parasympathetic That's and, yeah. right. And you're not anxious. Yeah. You're not angry. You yeah. feel damn good. So when you get yourself down there, you're just not going to, your child, you, you need to do this stuff for yourself. Um, you literally do not view stress the same way. Your body will not react to stress in the same way when you go down into this parasympathetic state. So we do breath work and we teach you how to breathe out of your belly. So you're going to, you're going to fill your breath belly up. So I like to do a four, seven, eight. There's all kinds of breath, yeah, yeah. box breath, four, four, four you name it. I don't care what it is. Just do a belly breath, Google yeah. belly breaths or go onto my YouTube channel. And what you're going to do is you're going to breathe in for four through, through your nose. You're going to, you're going to fill up, hold for seven. And then ex exhalation is eight seconds. That longer exhalation, even if you go in for four and out for five, you want to get that longer exhalation because it pushes you into a parasympathetic state. Now, you can't do this once. You got to do three rounds at least three times a day, every day. Make a 30-day commitment, chart it on a blank calendar, rate yourself from a zero to five, zero the most, the least stressed, five the most stressed. And I promise you, if you do this three rounds at least three times a day, I promise you at the end of the 30 days, I don't care if you go from a five to a four, you will have less stress. You are training your nervous system like you're working out at a gym, people. So breath work is a no-brainer. Now, I have some people who are so activated, panic attacks, um, history of trauma. I have some people with OCD that have obsessive thoughts about breath due to germs and other things. That is not the go-to for you. And I'm not going to force you to do breath work. Instead. I like to do um, different types of physical activity. So there's two two branches to that. Again, free. <laughs> you just need to do it. So one is to do brain gym activities. Oh, okay. You can Google, yeah, you can Google brain gym. 
And what are brain gym activities? They're trying to, you, you are coordinating the right and left side of your brain and it's called bilateral coordination. And so if you can visualize, right, um, put your, put your hands together in any way, shape or form. It could be like prayer. It could just be class. And you literally are going to put your hands in front of you, like where your chest is, you're going to go out and you're going to make a figure eight, figure eight with your hand. Okay. Now, if you're like me, I instantly feel that in my cranium, very sensitive to activities. And you're literally going to just do that. Now, if you don't want, you want to hide it, you can do it down low. That's just one type of activity. Um, and there's a whole other series that you do. Got to do them people every day. You can't just do it once a week and be like, I don't notice a difference. Okay. This is, this is the unlearning, isn't it? This is the teaching the brain. Yeah. 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 Right. And then we are a somatic therapy practice and we teach people how to reconnect. We, we do bottoms up therapy. So talk therapy is, is top down. Yeah. And when you try to come in, as we talked about, when you're activated, it's almost impossible. Right. And what do people do who are panicked, stressed, anxious, depressed, uh, even really impulsive kids? They disconnect from their body. Okay. And when you disconnect from your body, which is what most people are living on, especially if you're on medication, you, when people try to come to you and talk about thoughts and feelings, you have no place to attach it to. Got you. Wow. When you have no place to attach it to, you are like pissed off that your kid's not learning. Because remember, therapy is learning, right? Yeah. So when you reconnect to the somatic experiences, what happens in the body, you are getting like your kid, why are you panicked? What's underneath panic? Where is the panic, Right. So a lot of times what I will do is I will say, you know, put your hand where you are feeling it the most. Yeah. I've had everything from the chest to the back of the knees to the head, you name it, wherever yeah. that person's is. And then you you get them to just say, imagine it getting better. Yeah. Imagine what it's like when it lessens and you get them to start to attune to it. This is really amazing stuff for wherever a person is. We use this techniques with like people that are so shut down, like they're in and out of psych hospitals and they have no idea. You have to you need an anchor. Your body is your anchor. Yeah. And so if you keep, when you're panicked, a lot of the work with people with panic attacks and OCDs, we get them to understand what their triggers are and create this window of tolerance. Well, here's my trigger. I don't have to go to zero to 60. I'm going to see this trigger early on and I'm going to connect with it, process it and get it to stop. Not, not disassociate yeah. from it. So, you know, your, your kids are never going to move on from these things. If we numb them with medication and we just tell them to ignore it. And I think that's the scary thing, isn't it, is, is the fact that we have to acknowledge those feelings, we have to acknowledge those fears and actually confront them. And and it it is a scary sort of situation to be yeah. in, but it sort of starts dissolving anyway, doesn't it? When you actually sort of face, well, face your fears and do it anyway, I, I guess. Absolutely. And neurologically from the brain, 
when the brain, you know, what happens like with OCD, for example, that's what exposure response and prevention is, is that it teaches you to face your fears. Okay. Confront, you know, we call it talking to the barking, you know, stopping feeding the barking dog. So from neurologically, uh, let's say somebody, the same boy had an intrusive, the intrusive thought about the, um, the, uh, getting a splinter. Okay. So he's in a therapy session or you're home, you're home with your kid. Yeah. And he's like, mom, are we going to a park today? Okay. When you say yes, what happens is they have this fear. Then every time you say yes, the anxiety lessens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when we teach a child to cope and we, we stop what we call accommodating, we teach them to tolerate it. What will happen is the highest point is right before they're exposed. Their anxiety is like off the root, you know, off the chisels, mm-hmm. we call it right. It's very, very high. So then you say to your kid, what do you think we're doing today? Mom, I need you to answer if we're going to a park. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know the answer to this. We discussed this yesterday. What do you think is going to happen? So their anxiety will spike to a really, really high level. Yeah. yeah. Well, then the kid is forced to say, we are not. And then you say, I'm glad you were able to confront that. What will happen neurologically is that anxiety will shoot so far down after they manage to cope even more than when you respond. So you'll go spike and then further down spike. And that trend, as you can imagine, right, is a, is a down on a stock yeah. market up and then further down. And then you keep going until you extinguish it. So you're teaching the kid at that deeply neurological level. This is not a true thought. You are managing it. And the parent learns how to teach them to cope by how they cue them. Right. And they're no longer feeding it. And it's really uncomfortable at first, Kai. You said it. Well, that's I mean, the this thing. is hard. Yeah. yeah. But I think the thing is, is that we can sort of sit there as parents, and, you know, till we're blue in the face. And, and we try really hard, as you were saying, is to placate them and make, you know, sort of and try. No, 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 you'll be absolutely fine. Calm down. You'll be fine. And that is, you know, the, the sort of the wisdom from the parent. But I think the, 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 the break or the learning point here for the kids is when they experience that themselves and when they actually reach that light bulb moment themselves, because then they are taking back responsibility but they're actually experiencing that rather than just sort of believing it, aren't they? And that right. I think is probably where the they goal are is. gaining control. Yeah. Kai. Yeah. They are in charge, right? And and they realize their anxiety or their OCD is not in charge of them. Yes. Because it gets so heightened because their brain is literally hijacked. And when I do, I do something called a QEG brain map where I um look at people's brain functioning and I can see what's happening over structures, but then I can see what's happening, what's called site to site communication. So it's how the brain is talking to itself. You can actually see the neural networks. And when people have OCD and panic, yeah, literally you can see every area in their brain is literally in a loop. Like it's exactly. so it's just nonstop chatter inside it. Yeah. Like they can't come down from it. And it's just so critical. I mean, to help our kids learn how to tolerate stress. You don't even have to have a 
a clinical issue. This is, we can back this up and apply it to everyday parenting. We are bubble wrap parenting today. We are, are, the States is even worse. I'm just telling you, I'm saying in general, you kids, kids in the, in the UK and Europe are still pushed to be more independent kids here. It's like, literally, I just can't believe how much parents do for their kids and intervene constantly when they don't want their kids to experience any discomfort, but it's the discomfort that they learn from. Yeah. And this is why kids, we're not saying there's not more stressors because Kai, I agree. There's a lot more stressors on kids today, but every generation faces stressors. It's how you set your kid up to cope. That is the key to mental health. And what I see seen in 30 years is absolutely a worse, like an incapacitation of kids' ability to cope and tolerate stress. It's off the scale, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you see, and the that is the, the nexus of our, our mental health crisis. That is absolutely the nexus. And again, we can have all these stressors. We always do. It's definitely more for kids today in different ways. But there's also some pretty cool things kids have access to, but, you know, that most emotionally healthy kids that I see have nothing to do with where they go to school, what grades they have, what street they live on. Okay. Nothing. It's, is this kid independent? Yeah. Not in academics, people in life. And do they know how to cope with stress? That's it. I think. Yeah, and 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 once you've got those two box ticked, I mean, you know, it, it's that the dare I say it, the sky's the limit, isn't it? Because they are it's able. The to, limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there is, there is nothing that that kid can't do. There is no limit to their success in every area of life, including academics. But most importantly, your kid is going to feel secure and happy. And that's going to show up in the relationships that they have, love relationships, friendship relationships, is going to show up in future employment. It's going to show up in how they parent. It's going to show up in all those big areas, you know? And yet, Dr. Ozan, what really saddens me is we have extremely simple techniques, box breathing, four, seven, eight, extremely simple techniques that can help people. And yet, I think sometimes the, 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 the thought is, the mind is trying to overcomplicate matters and sort of thinks, well, that can't work. So let's, let's find the, the, another fix. And, yeah. and I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but these techniques are simple and free and, and you know, anyone can use them. And yet they're not being widely, you know, I mean, rather than, a, uh, you know, the, the, the doctors sort of saying, here's X mills of pills, they should be saying, try box breath, try this, try that. And yet no one's doing it. That's that's what really I, I find hard to fathom. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if we talk about, you know, training of mental health professionals, right? So there's way more of um, a, a, a notion that we should be doing mindfulness, right? Yeah. Okay, like mindfulness is a buzzword in mental health. But we still, I still bristle. 30 years I've been bristling with my peers in mental health, right? 
they will say, oh, that there's no evidence behind meditation. I remember, you know, 20 years ago, struggling with people now. Oh, no, meditation is great. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But there there's such a closed mindedness. Right. Like when I was in graduate school in the 90s, um, my professors couldn't be, have been more open. Right. That we were my specialty was learning how to work with kids with neurodevelopmental disorders and mental health issues and and whatnot. So they already knew you you had to think outside the box. There wasn't a push for medication when I when I was getting yeah. trained in my yeah. program, right? But they also didn't bring in a lot of alternative things. Yes, Me true. being holistic my whole life, um, already working with kids, seeing mm-hmm. that psychotherapy, medication, residential treatment, psychiatric hospitalizations didn't didn't really change the dial, right? I got to see what I did and how it impact. Definitely psychotherapy when it was play-based, when it was family systems, when it was parent training oriented. I did a lot of work on parent training and coming in and reteaching them the basics of behaviors because they didn't know any of this because of generational parenting and how dramatic it was. But I brought in you know, I did a paper on holistic treatments for ADHD and I was the one doing the research and my professors were really supportive. Of course, neurofeedback was in their parent training um, and diet. Those were the three things already then I was focusing on. And I chose to do parent training because it was going to be, I'm very practical. It was going to be a great dissertation and it was going to get me out. And neurofeedback, I couldn't find somebody to do that work with me and it was going to be expensive and costly. But the training of professionals on how efficacious these tools are is still not happening. What is driving the bus is parents who are sick and tired of things not working. I, I created this book, It's Going to Be Okay, because I want parents to have a roadmap and I also wanted parents to see you know, there's a lot of research behind magnesium and how it impacts the nervous system and, and how our kids who are in any level of dysregulation, it is impossible that they have normal magnesium levels. And, you oh, know, wow. okay. how you need to be on magnesium, right? And what are the different kinds and how they work and all that other stuff. This is a resource for parents that's not expensive. They, they, people can take magnesium and sometimes on the first day, there's a noticeable difference and there's no harm that can come from you for magnesium. The worst thing magnesium will do is loosen stools. We can live with that, can't we? We can live with that. Yeah. So, and it just means you back it up and you take a little less, but we're not, why isn't a psychiatrist? Why isn't a pediatrician? Why isn't a general practitioner? Why aren't they sharing this information? Well, they don't really have the training unless they've gone out of their way. People will say, Roseanne, how do you have this training? Because I was not accepting that my patients weren't getting better. And I just went to the library. (laughs) Then it was a microfiche and looked. (laughs) And then I went and trained and trained any way I could. People always say to me, what program did you go to? There was no program 30 years ago. I read books. I talked to people. And now I go to some trainings and programs and often I run them, but 
we have to understand that there really are evidence-based approaches outside of talk therapy, which I'm not against talk therapy when the nervous system is activated. But there's a time and a place for it, isn't there? Yeah. Right. And that, and I don't want people to say all therapy is bad and they'll never go to it. Yeah. Because it's not a time and a place. It's the right treatment at the right time in the right order. So we need to open this dialogue. We need to give parents hope. We need to give them the tools. And there are so many tools that can help distress kids and families. And you just need to, whether you do Google research or I already did it for you, that's okay. Uh, listen, but- your, your details are, are obviously in the show notes, but we, I shall put the link into that book, which will be winging its way to my house as well, I tell you, because these things are important. And I think parents are sick to death with not knowing which way to turn. And yeah. your, your book is going to be a fabulous resource for that. Well, and you know, it's so scary when you feel like the road, like you're out of hope. It is. And I just think we're doing such a disservice to kids and their families. And, you know, parents are often at first really excited when I tell them this and then they get mad. Yes. Because they're like, why wasn't I told? And I was like, I should that's be mad. Thing. I think you should be mad, but then let's take action. Yeah, precisely. Let's yes, <laughs> get over your madness and, and get over your like, madness yeah. and put it into and changing how you're, you know, work smarter, not harder. Parents yeah. are working too damn hard. This is really the hacks, the brain hacks on how to change how your kid is thinking, their attention, and and really just securing that their happiness, right? And their wellness for today and tomorrow, you know? And and, and unlearning those learned anxieties and compulsions. (sighs) Dr. Roseanne, thank you so, so much. I could talk to you all day, but because I can't, I'm going to go and get your book. So, <laughs> thank you so much indeed. It's been an absolute joy. And well, and thank you for this conversation. I know it's going to help a lot of people. It will. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And if this podcast resonates with you and you have a friend or a loved one that you think might have OCD or anxiety or any issue where it's clinical, please share this with them. Yeah. Because yeah. this is a great way to get the foot in the door to somebody who may be stuck. You're so right. Well. Thank you. And and I so appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you found this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share via your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at kygraham.com. And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favor, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child and we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes and a good one, by the way, (laughs) because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.